Are we talking about that amazing thing we were just talking about in the pre-show? Uh, are we talking about that anymore now, or are we done? Wait, what? The thing we were just talking about in the pre-show. The iPad Pro 9.7, whatever, whatever? No, stop, stop. No, the, th- the thing that's happening next week. Are we talking about that? What's happening next week? Oh, my God, Marco. But how are we going to have anything to say about that until it happens? Yeah, I guess not. All right, well, I'll just be that jerk that's teasing. And then and then it'll just be like, oh, it's fine. That's how it's going to go. <laughs> <laughs> so, suddenly Marco's turned into uh, John Roderick's father. It's fine. I thought he was fine. I still... Oh, oh, the... T- uh, you know what we need in our lives? We need some follow-up. We don't have that much this week, so it'll last about three hours. Uh, why don't you tell us about an anonymous former Apple employee, John? Oh, who doesn't love anonymous former Apple employees? Um Last week, we discussed uh, some more, uh, why don't we have cellular on the Mac, uh, and uh, had lots of different theories. There's one, this is one data point. This is a three-year-old data point from, again, an anonymous Apple employee. And he or she says, a significant number of iPad owners do not have an iPhone. An insignificant number of MacBook owners do not have an iPhone, uh, as of three years ago, anyway. So the idea there is, why don't you have cellular? You have cellular on the iPad, but you don't have it on a Mac. Why? It's like, well, because lots of iPad owners don't have phones, but all the Mac users do. Um, that's an interesting data point. May have contributed to their decision, but as we talked about last show, just because you have a phone doesn't mean you want to waste its battery tethering and deal with all the tethering stuff when it's built in. It's much nicer. Uh, but but anyway, that that's an interesting number. I probably would not have guessed that that like. The, the Mac, well, I, don't, I, I suppose so. If you have a Mac, maybe you're like an old school Apple user and you're like, everybody who's got a MacBook's got an iPhone, but the iPad is sold to a much wider audience. Anyway, there you have it. Take that for what it's worth from a, a, an anonymous Apple employee from a three-year-old data. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Scott Williams wrote in uh, sometime over the last week and asked a question, which I thought was actually very interesting. He asked, why not use CloudKit for file uploads in Overcast? And unbeknownst to Marco, I replied to Scott, just the two of us. I didn't copy Marco and John. And I said, I bet you anything, it's just because S3 is what Marco knew and he didn't feel like learning something different. (laughs) <laughs> but I'm not 100%, but I'm not 100% sure is what I said to Scott. And then you did reply to everyone. And that is not the answer you had, which I was very surprised by. So why don't you answer the question, Marco? Why not use CloudKit? Right. And and actually, I mean, I've heard from a number of people on why don't I use X? One of the other X's was Backblaze's new S3-like service that I believe is called B2. So the reason why I built this on S3 rather than all these other options is first that Williams was right that I it was the thing I knew the best but second that I wrote that entire feature in 2014 that's the big reason so that was before CloudKit and before Backblaze B2 and the reality is that the the biggest cost of it uh, I I don't, I don't actually know yet uh, but the biggest cost of it is more likely to be bandwidth than storage because bandwidth, you know, transfer is uh, is a lot more expensive on S3 than storage is. Uh, storage is like something like three cents per gig month, something like that. Um, and transfer in is free. Transfer out, so when you re-download or play the file, uh, that I have to pay for, and it's you know in in large quantity. That's actually a non-trivial cost, and the 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 bandwidth fees are actually fairly similar on almost every provider cloudkit would be interesting because cloudkit is like free with a whole bunch of asterisks after it um (laughs) one of the holdups with that is simply that 
I'm not familiar with how it works yet. And another big one is that I believe not all of those asterisks after it actually have definitions at the bottom of the page. Many of them are like, you just don't know what will happen with this asterisk. You know, like if you go over all your quotas, it's kind of undefined and stuff like that. So like CloudKit is is a, is a bit uh, of a risk. If I were writing all of this stuff from scratch today, I would probably first try to do all of it, the sync, everything on CloudKit first. But because I wrote all this stuff before CloudKit existed, uh, that's the main reason why it is the way it is. Um, and so far, I mean, the looking at like you know how much space I'm actually using on S3 so far, I'm up to like th- over 300 gigs now. But that's still like something like 60 bucks a month in storage. Uh, so it really just the the question will end up being like how much do I end up using in in bandwidth costs? And if uh, you know if if the if this cost does not end up being ridiculous, then I can of course raise the limit. Right now it's two gigs, um, but you know why not offer? 10 gigs you know i don't know i i could offer more if the if the costs stay reasonable so i'm just gonna basically see like what ends up being like the average cost of it and then i'll decide from there what to do fair enough uh john why don't you tell us about why it may not be your fault that your poor ipod touch walked on you no it's my fault a lot of people sent me uh links to various stories about uh you know, technology to break into cars uh particularly this one with uh keyless entry where you just have a little your key fob in your pocket and you just walk up to your car and it unlocks and you get in and you drive away uh, i think you guys probably have that on your fancy cars yep um yep and the way to uh the, the way you break into these well the way the system works is obviously you walk up to the car and the car knows you're nearby because it sends a signal to your key fob and your key fob says oh uh i should open the door and sends a signal back and tells the car to open the door um the way these break-in things work is if you're in a restaurant and your car is parked outside your car is sending out a signal hey key fob are you there hey key fob are you there but your key fob's not there the, the signal is very weak the signal only reaches when you really when you're right next to your car essentially these amplifiers take the car signal amplify it massively so your key fob in your pocket inside the restaurant can hear the car asking and then uh, the key fob thinks, oh, uh, the car has asked me something. Here you go, car. Open your doors, please. Um, and it sends a signal which can reach the car, apparently, from the key fob, because I guess they work from really far away in case you hit the button, you know. Uh, and then the door opens and the thief gets in. So it's an amplifier. And what it's amplifying is the car's signal reaching out to your key fob. And then your key fob just answers and opens the car door. Um, I'm pretty sure no one used that in my car because I don't have one of those things. My car does not send out a signal to my key fob. I have the old fashioned kind of key fob where the way it works is you press a button on the key fob and it sends a signal to the car. Me getting close to my car with my key in my pocket does nothing. It does not open the doors for me. Um, I just left it unlocked just that one time. Anyway, car's locked now. Got a new iPod in there. I'm fine. There are other, by, by the way, there are other things that uh, do that you can use to break into cars like mine that just send a whole bunch of different signals to the car and all sorts of other hacks and things but just all of that just sounds way even the amplifier thing just sounds way too sophisticated for the uh the crime that this seems to be which is just wander down the street in the neighborhood and try every single car handle and if it's locked go on to the next one i mean you could also just use like a rock to break the window <laughs> i mean it's like yeah well, they don't they want to break the window they want they don't want to this the whole idea about this crime is you keep it low enough level that no one really gets upset about it because like they didn't break anything on your car you know what i mean like you're right they could just break you know break the window and and get in there however they want or they can you know use some other way to break into the car this is totally about 
I'm, I don't want to be bothered by that. If they leave the door open, there's enough people to leave the door open. Why should I bother doing something that can make more noise, that can get me caught, that can get me in trouble, that can make the police take notice, right? So this is totally a crime of opportunity. Just looking for the day I forget to lock my car door again. Okay, our first sponsor this week is Harry's. Go to harrys.com and enter code ATP at checkout for $5 off your first order. Harry sells high-quality razors and blades for a fraction of the price of the big brands. Now, everybody knows that good things come in sets of three. What does that have to do with anything? Well, March is the third month of the year. It also happens to be Harry's three-year anniversary as a business. And if you're new to Harry's, they have a special deal now to try out three of their expertly crafted five-blade German razor blade cartridges, a nice-looking classy handle, and shaving cream for just 10 bucks. Now, here's how this works. So Harry's is the only shaving company that has amazing quality, low prices, and modern convenience. And in my opinion, the best-looking designs out there. These are German-engineered five-blade cartridge cartridge razors. So this gives you a close, comfortable shave, no cuts or burns. Quality is guaranteed. They offer a full refund if you're not happy. Now, Harry's offers these amazing razor blades at factory direct prices, cutting out the middle people, and they ship them right to your door. They sell their blades at half the price of the leading brand. And again, this is shipped to your door, so there's no weird trips to the drugstore to try to get the blades from the shoplifting case that you have to have some guy open it up for you. No, you just go to harrys.com and you're done in 30 seconds. Just click, 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 and they're shipped to your door. So why pay $32 for an 8-pack of the big brand blades when you can get them for half that price at harrys.com? The Harry Starter Set is an amazing deal. For just $15 normally, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream, and three razor blade cartridges. And they'll give you $5 off your first order with promo code ATP. So go to harrys.com right now. That's H-A-R-R-Y-S.com. Enter code ATP at checkout for $5 off your first order. Thanks a lot to Harry's for sponsoring our show. All right. So this past Monday, we had our first Apple event of the year. And we did not get new Macs. Sad times. Yeah, we spent a lot of time talking about them last week, and then nothing. Yeah. I mean, it, it's it's a bummer. But, you know, a lot of people are saying that, oh, well, this is a sign that Apple doesn't care about the Mac as much anymore. Um, and I think it's true that Apple doesn't care that much about the Mac anymore. But I don't think this is a sign of that. I, I basically think, like, if you give Apple the benefit of the doubt on this one, uh, we know that releases of Macs are tied very heavily to availability of the CPUs they're going to use from Intel. And Intel, over the last few years, as they face a lot of challenges with all their you know, chip manufacturing changes and, and progress over time, they have missed a lot of their of their target ship dates. I, maybe even all of them. Like they've they have just been been very delayed and very late getting stuff out the door for a lot of the recent chip generations. And Skylake, of course, is no exception. It's, it was one of the biggest ones actually. That just Skylake is it, the the newest generation of their chips has taken a very long time to come out. I think it was total what like a year late or something. It's it's very it it is definitely behind schedule. So the the type of Skylake chips that go into MacBooks and MacBook Pros are usually the ones that have Intel's Iris Pro graphics in them. And so you can look around the industry and you can see like certain Skylake chips are out and you can buy certain ones in PCs for for like months or or recently. Uh but the ones with Iris Pro that would go into the MacBook Pro, those as far as I know are not really out in quantity yet. So 
that that is much more likely to be the reason here that we didn't see Macs. It's not necessarily that Apple is snubbing the Mac. It's way more likely that those chips just Apple just can't get enough of them yet from Intel, so they can't really release this thing yet. That's a way more likely explanation. Again, I, I do think that there are lots of signs all over the place that the Mac has kind of taken a backseat at Apple uh, in recent years, but I don't think the absence of Macs at this event is a sign of that necessarily. And we'll talk about uh, Intel's uh, abandonment of their TikTok strategy probably on the next show, unless we uh, get through all the Apple event stuff, in which case we'll talk about it later. But anyway, suffice it to say that Intel is now formally acknowledging what Marco just said, and we've all known for a long time, is that they make a lot of promises about when things will be ready, and they usually kind of are within their promise window, but at the very tail edge, excluding the models that Apple wants, and caveat, caveat, asterisk, asterisk. So it's nice to see them acknowledging the reality and uh, changing their game plan. And uh, I guess we'll talk more about why, what this means, blah, 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 uh, if and when we get to that topic, maybe next show. And the other thing is, though, it is worth pointing out that Apple has contributed uh, from their end to the long delays between certain Macs. Uh, and the main, the main way that this is not all Intel's fault is that Apple often, for, the, for, their, for their lower priority products, things like the Mac Mini and the Mac Pro especially, uh, they often skip Intel generations. So Intel will often make them a new CPU and Apple will be like, eh, we just updated this product <laughs> last year. We don't, we don't need to do another one this year. You know, and like the Mac Pro tends to, I think... I think for most of the recent generations, the Mac Pro has skipped roughly every other generation. Uh, so it is definitely partly Apple's fault. Also, you know, Intel has been rolling out Skylake slowly over the last few months. You know, like the chip that is in the MacBook One, that's a different line than the chip than the chips that would be used in the MacBook Air, and those are a different line than the chips that would be used in the MacBook Pro. And the thirteen and the fifteen are also, I think, slightly different, like the the quad versus the. Uh, versus the uh, the dual core there but these chips are all released at different times it's kind of like a rolling schedule usually in recent years with intel and so in so apple could release macbooks at a at a staggered a staggered schedule um and in fact last year they did uh, if you remember last year there were um i think the the macbook one came out first then the airs and then the 13 and then the 15 right something like that something like that they were staggered out among a few months so you know, Apple could have some of these chips, like the MacBook One's chip, maybe, and just not have released it yet because they're waiting to do it all at once. Uh, so that's also kind of on Apple. Um, but the main thing is like is the skipping of generations. That 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 is the big one. Like these, the the chip that's in the 15 inch right now is, I think, like three years old or something. I mean, it's like it's it's pretty rough. The Mac Pro is also again in really bad shape because like once you start skipping Intel generations now nowadays like where the intel generation itself is being extended because of various delays and getting to the next the next stage uh when you start skipping generations like apple often does now uh that could mean you're you're buying a three-year-old cpu when you go into the store today and and that's that just sucks so i think if apple wants to at least partially alleviate the notion that they're abandoning or or neglecting the mac um, I think they got to stop skipping these generations because if the, if the generation is going to go from nine months long to two years long, uh, that's that's a much bigger thing that, you know, stop skipping them already because they also tie everything else to it. So, for instance, like if you buy it like this, this came up in uh, the Oculus Rift comments from a couple weeks ago. That, that's still a topic down there, by the way. I know if you buy a Mac <laughs> Pro today, you're getting something like a three year old or four year old class GPU. Like you're getting a really old GPU 
uh, by by modern standards, even if you opt for the highest one. Can you believe people out there are using three-year-old Mac Pros? Isn't that sad? <laughs> <laughs> well, they're not buying them. Well, they are, but you know, like <laughs> ideally, you wouldn't buy a three-year-old Mac Pro today, right? So the, the one you can buy today is three years old. That's what I'm getting at. I know, right? <laughs> so anyway, so like. You know, it sucks that because Apple skips these generations of CPUs on, on on the lesser mainstream products, and these generations keep getting longer, by tying themselves to Intel's calendar, they end up shipping a whole bunch of other old stuff, too. Like, you know, the, the GPUs are grossly outdated, usually, on, on these products. Um, the... Uh, configuration options, things like SSD pricing for higher capacities, that tends to stay very high for very long because it's just hardly ever updated. You know, it's when you're updating every two to three years and you're doing significant updates, then it's kind of hard to keep that stuff competitive. So that all is kind of, you know, that does all contribute. And that all those things are within Apple's control to change. And, and I hope they do at some point. And all this is kind of to lead into the final conclusion here, which is, now that, now that we're seeing quite how much Apple depends on Intel to progress the Mac line forward, you know, assuming Apple fixes all their other stuff and starts, you know, and, and doesn't skip any more CPU generation that Intel gives them uh, and maybe keeps things a little bit more up to date, which that's a big if, honestly, and I don't see it happening. But if they would do that, you can kind of see why Apple might someday want to move to our Macs because Apple could make their own CPUs that are Mac class. And if they could be at all competitive with Intel, which they honestly, they might not even need to be. I mean, look at the MacBook One, an incredibly slow computer that seems to be selling pretty well anyway because nobody cares. You know, so if Apple, if Apple, if Apple made their own ARM chips for Macs, for OS X, they would own this part of the pipeline that right now they, have, they depend on this partner who keeps delaying them. And that isn't necessarily to say that Apple would always do better. But it is exactly the same situation they were in back when they were on PowerPC waiting for IBM to do anything with PowerPC. You know, it's very similar to that situation. And Apple made a change because they were tired of, of you know, being dependent on this slow partner. They could do the same thing here with Intel at some point by saying, you know what, we are, we are done dealing with Intel holdups and Intel delays. We're going to try taking this on our own and we're going to make Mac chips and, you know, just have like an, a, an A15X for the Mac or something. So... This is all kind of, you know, big long-term stuff, and all this requires a lot more thought and effort into the Mac than what Apple might be giving recently. Um, but I do think it's within the realm of reason. Anyway, new laptops will be out in a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the, answer, the answer is we don't know when they'll be out. Like, they could, you know, it, it, again, it depends on Intel. They could be out. I'd say at this point, since they missed this event, the most likely release is June at WWDC. Um, but it also could be any time before then or after then, you know, because w- with Intel's ship dates, we don't really know. It could be just like a press release and maybe some briefings sometime between now and June without an event. It could be another tiny event, although I doubt that. Um, or, you know, m- it could just be announced in WBC in June, in June. So really, it could be any of these things. And, and we don't really know. And probably only Apple and Intel know this. All right, so we should probably cover the rest of the event chronologically. I mean, the things that were actually in the event. Right. So uh, why don't we start how it started with um, the brief, what was it, 40 years and 40 seconds video? Uh, I don't have a lot to say about it other than that. I really enjoyed it, and I also really enjoyed uh, Stephen Hackett and Jason Snell's, uh, like, we didn't start the fire style uh, recap of everything that was in it. 
Tim Cook did the little thing of like, oh, we at Apple don't usually like to look backwards, but yeah, it seems kind of like the new Apple kind of likes to look backwards sometimes, like a little <laughs> bit more than they used to. Because Steve Jobs was famously against ever doing anything remotely nostalgic. So it was just forward, new, new. Of course, he did do things like with the 1984 iPod ad and stuff like that. Um, but it seemed more rare back then. And this was small and it's just a bunch of words on, on a screen and it was fun and cute or whatever. But it's like, I don't know, maybe just Apple's just getting to that age where there's like a lot of round number anniversaries and birthdays, the 25th uh, anniversary or what, the 30th anniversary of the Mac, the 40th anniversary of the company, uh, you know, the last town hall thing. It just seems to me that the new Apple seems ever so slightly more sentimental uh, than it used to be. I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing. I mean, I'm more I sentimental. I, I'm old, too, you know. Uh, <laughs> the, 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 the text name video, it was cute. But uh, and I like the fact that it was 40 seconds, but it wasn't anything too wonderful. I mean, I enjoyed it, and um, I didn't think it was overly self-indulgent, like the uh, thousand no's for every yes or whatever it was. I also liked that video, but it kind of ran for a long time and got a little bit... But that was that was forward-looking, though. That was like, this is the new Apple. This is what we're doing going forward. And I give them lots of leeway to sort of set a new direction. This is purely like, hey, it's an anniversary. We did a bunch of cool things in the first 40 years. Yeah, yeah. And and I liked it and I liked it because it was quick, it was funny, um and it was it didn't take things too seriously. So I, I quite liked the video. I didn't like that it wasn't chronological though. <laughs> of course. It bothered is. me cuz if you're trying to match up, it's kind of chronological, but then it jumps back and it goes all over the place and like just just do it chronological. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, John. Um, after that, we heard about privacy. And even since the, we're recording this on Wednesday evening, the, uh, the the conference or whatever you want to call it, the keynote took place Monday afternoon, uh, proper time. So even in, 24 hours later, there's been new developments in this whole privacy battle with the FBI. And uh, I don't know which one of you guys put this link to the New York Times in here, but perhaps you can talk about that a little bit more. Well, I mean, so he, Tim Cook was on stage and being kind of like very assertive and determined, you know, as you all know in the audience, because you're a bunch of tech reporters, here's the thing that we've been battling uh, the FBI and Department of Justice over and Apple's committed to privacy and we're going to fight this fight and so on and so forth. And then the audience applauds and it's like, yay. And then like one or two days later, uh, the Department of Justice is like, uh, actually, it turns out we might have another way into this phone. Never mind about that hearing we were going to have Apple. Like some someone else approached the FBI and said they can get us into the phone. So uh, never mind for now. So they postponed the hearing, perhaps indefinitely, and they're, the government is going off and do something else. And everyone's trying to read the tea leaves. Did, could they always have gotten into it? Did they get cold feet? Is this actually someone new saying, hey, here's like a, a box you can buy in China that will unlock this phone and FBI should have known about it, but you're a bunch of dunces. It's so hard to tell what's actually going on. But the bottom line for Apple is they were all stealing for a fight and that fight has been either postponed or canceled. Um, so it's like, oh, all right, well, I guess we'll wait to see if the government comes back and says, no, seriously, we want you to do this. But for now, it seems like a stay of execution for uh, for Apple, which is excellent. I, I think it's it's more it's it's most likely to be a combination of all those possibilities uh, that you outlined, John. Like, I, I think if you looked at the way the legal briefs were going back and forth. Uh, the FBI really did not have much of a leg to stand on legally, as, according to what most lawyers, which we are not, uh, seem to think about about you know these uh, these briefs and these arguments. Um, it seems like the FBI was was very likely to lose, basically, and so they're bailing out, and that's very smart from their point of view because 
you know, they, we all, I think, suspect or, or know that this is uh, very much about setting precedent. And they wanted to set precedent that would allow them to compel Apple to break into any phone they demanded uh, secretly, probably, you know, all the all the wonderful stuff our government does now in the name of freedom. They there was an equal chance if they lost to set a bad precedent for the FBI, which should be like if, if Apple successfully defended against this and uh, courts ruled in Apple's favor saying, no, you can't make Apple do this then that hurts the FBI's uh, cause for themselves. So if they were pretty sure they were going to lose, the best thing to do is say, oh, never mind, we'll fight this again later. And that's basically what they've done. <laughs> I don't know if their if they're handicapping of their chances of losing change that much after seeing Apple's argument. It's so hard to tell when there's the possibility that one of the, the parties to this lawsuit is incredibly incompetent and doesn't know anything about the tech stuff. Because if you ha- if you believe that, then you're like, well, maybe, maybe FBI really did think they had a strong case. But then when the facts came to light and Apple got to respond, they're like, oh, maybe we don't have a strong case. But then you would think, seriously? Would they not know all these things? And so it's so hard to tell. Like, are they, are they super devious and just, like, bluffing? Or did they really not know that it seemed like they didn't have a good case? And the, the other possibility, the even more cynical one, is they just decided, you know what? If, it's a lot easier if we just get laws passed that make it that force Apple to do what we want. So we, we will retreat and, uh, you know... Go, go through government channels to try to, uh, you know, influence the Congress to pass the terrible laws that we want them to pass and we'll secretly pass them the night while no one's watching it because we have enough people who will vote for them because they have lobbyists from, you know, whatever. Like the, the typical way the government passes laws that don't have popular support, right? Right. In the name of fighting this war that somehow never ends and is vaguely defined. Right, right. Exactly. It is a like terrorism, blah, 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 you know, Apple being mean, blah, 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 encryption is going to kill your children, whatever. Like, Anyway, so that's another possibility that that they decided it, this is too much of a hassle. Even if we were going to win, it's so much better if we can just get terrible laws passed. And that has worked really well for lots of terrible laws that involve like warrantless wiretapping and the Patriot Act and all the other things they've done. It's like that that's a proven strategy. This whole battling a company in court, especially a company that has a lot of money for lawyers, that seems like a lot of work. So who knows? Who knows what's going on? But e- either way, Apple was all sort of grim and determined and committed and that determination has fizzled because now they have nothing to be determined about and they can just going back to suspecting that the nsa is uh, putting secret chips into all their servers delightful so there was that speech about privacy the aftermath thereof and then we got to talk about the environment and i was very pleased to see that um the first not tim person on stage was a woman lisa jackson a woman of color, no less, which is excellent. Um, and she was up there for quite a while. And this is the first time I can recall seeing her on stage. Is that fair to say? Or am I forgetting one? She might have been up there before, I think, for talking about environment. But but yeah, like the this is something that, that uh, people are watching now. Uh, Apple watchers are watching now because Apple itself has uh, tried to do better about diversity and is giving these diversity reports to say, how are we doing? How far do we have to go? Apple itself has given itself a bad grade on diversity and continues to give itself a bad grade on diversity because it deserves a bad grade on diversity. Like, <laughs> um, but yeah. but now when we when we watch these keynotes, especially as compared to some other companies, for example, Google has historically done much better in terms of who is on stage talking, right? Um, and it's not just who's on stage talking. Like, you can just you know, well, we'll just pick someone up there and try to put a diverse face on things. Who's on stage talking always necessarily reflects who's in charge of things, and. That is the type of problem where 
you can't fix it overnight unless you fire everybody and start over, right? And that's <laughs> usually people don't like to do that. People are like, well, we're cleaning house. The whole top five layers of the org chart, everybody's fired and we're starting over. Um, so it's going to take Apple a long time to be undo. Interesting. Yeah. It's going to take Apple. Well, Steve Jobs kind of did that, but he just replaced all the white dudes with the white dudes. <laughs> it's going to take a long, a long time for Apple to undo the decades and decades of promoting white dudes, essentially. Right. So you can't, you know, it, you can't just uh, you can't fix it overnight, which isn't an excuse, but it's just showing how how difficult it is to make this change and how deep this this stuff goes. Right. And so trying to, at the very least, uh, do a little bit better on each successive keynote is, I think, important. But every time they do it, it almost highlights how far they have to go. You know what I mean? Like, like this is the, this is literally the best you can do. And you've got to dig all the way down to like your vice president of environment to come up with a female speaker no one who's in charge of like ios or the mac or apple tv or anything like that is any more diverse than just a million other white guys so um it's, it's difficult to know how like I, I mean i know how i feel about this but like what what kind of feedback would you give to apple because it's clear that they're trying to do something but it's also clear that they're like that it's almost an impenetrable wall and you wouldn't tell them you need to fire everybody and start over you would hope that they're working internally to try to hire and promote more equitably uh than they have been but for for you to see results of that it's going to take years and years and years simply because like i said you just can't fire everybody it doesn't you know and it doesn't necessarily have to start at the bottom you can hire women into the top like they did for their their head of retail and stuff too but it's it just like it's a long road. I mean, to, to their credit, I mean, we'll talk about the environment in a second, but it seems like Apple at least knows that they have a problem and is trying to do something about it. Uh, but it's difficult to tell whether Apple is being ineffectual uh, in their efforts or they're being as effective as they possibly can. And it's just going to take for friggin' ever. All right. So let's talk about the environment a little bit. Um, Apple cares. <laughs> and uh, they had said a couple of years ago, which I don't recall when that was, that they wanted to be 100% uh, based on renewable energy. And they aren't there yet, but they're 93% worldwide and apparently 100% renewable in 23 countries, including the states, if I'm not mistaken. Their environment, this aspect of their environment, the energy aspect of their environment, I think is one of the best things Apple is doing simply because they are so well positioned to do what they're doing. All right, so. It, it's a it's it's a win-win for apple so obviously they get the pr advantage of saying look how environmentally green we are and you know we're setting an example for everybody else and blah blah, blah. but um it also costs them less money uh not in the short term but in the long run um and why does not why does every company not do this why doesn't every single company in the entire united states do use all renewable energy and do all this stuff well because it costs tons of money up front they build solar panels they buy you know they build wind farms they invest money in like they're paying to put all those solar panels on top of the buildings in wherever that was singapore or whatever and they're building a huge solar arrays outside of you know there's a huge capital investment who can afford to make these gigantic capital investments so you can make it back slowly over the next 20 years apple that's who because they got tons of money like that's not their problem they have the capital so app this is exactly what apple should be doing hey we have a huge amount of money cash flow is not our problem we're, we are committed to having these data centers or these stores or whatever for a long long time Let's take all the money that we have, 
put it up front to build, you know, if there's not renewable energy, we'll build it. If there is, we'll try to subsidize it or, or buy it or, you know, pay for it, whatever it is that, you know, that other companies can't do because like, um, that's great, but I don't have $2 billion to put all these solar panels up, right? Let's invest that money. And then let's slowly make it back over years and years of saying, oh, now our data center is powered half by the sun and half by these other renewable things, whatever. They will make it back eventually. Um, and even if they don't, it's such a drop in the bucket compared to their other expenses and the other things they spend money on. It's just it's just a smart thing to do. Um, so, like, especially when I saw them putting solar panels on, on the roof of skyscrapers and stuff, like, seriously, you're going to try to power your retail stores uh, with renewable energy? As far as Apple is concerned, it's like, sure, why the hell not? I mean... You know, it's it's just it's just a smart investment and if you are a company that's like has short-term thinking or doesn't have as much cash as apple or sort of like pinching pennies like if you're like the walmart of the world or whatever wherever you know razor thin margins and pressuring your suppliers and not giving your employees health care and doing everything you possibly can to save every penny it's not as likely to occur to you that hey we should put solar panels on top of every single walmart and make them you know uh it, carbon neutral or putting energy back on the grid or whatever it is that you want to be doing because that just seems like a lot of capital investment for like a silly pr win but i truly think the people in charge in apple don't see it as a silly pr win they see it as like a strategic advantage as in we are self-sufficient another type of thing like oh we don't rely on intel for our cpus and we don't rely on the stupid power companies for our power We'll, we'll do all that ourselves um and they you know like so many other things that tim cook is apple has been behind they really seem to believe in this as as having an environmental impact even though apple's one small company and really it's a drop in the bucket i think the most important thing they do is set an example so i don't know if it deserved as much time as they gave it in the keynote uh i feel like they just need to mention this keep mentioning this over and over again kind of like they do with like the you know lead free pvc free check boxes they put in every single product like we've seen that a million times now but eventually hopefully it goes it, it you know it gets through everybody's head and when they don't see it for someone else's product they say, so i guess your product contains lead uh you know so eventually i hope that apple keeps showing these environmental things and when other companies have big presentations about new data centers infrastructures the, the press can ask uh are you powering this with renewable energy? If not, why not? Excellent. Our second sponsor this week is Igloo. Go to igloosoftware.com slash ATP for an intranet you will actually like. Now, if you've worked in a corporate environment, Casey, John, you know how painful intranets usually are. The content is stale, the interface is ugly, and you can't access it on your phone or do really anything useful without a lot of pain. Igloo is an intranet that you actually like. It's well-designed, it's incredibly advanced, and it's modern. It's an easy-to-use collaboration tool that can help you do your best work, share files and updates with your team, coordinate calendars, manage department projects, and more. Whether you're a large enterprise stuck using SharePoint, oh, SharePoint uh. or a fast-growing business overwhelmed by file sharing and calendar apps, you can create a corporate intranet that matches your brand's, brand's look and feel, simplifies how you work, and is accessible on your phone. Igloo is incredibly advanced. You can do a shocking amount of stuff from mobile devices. So you can edit documents, you can annotate documents, track changes. They have things like red receipts to make sure people read compliance documents, stuff like that. Uh, you can, you know, you can do so much in your phone, no matter what size. Everything from a BlackBerry, yes, an actual BlackBerry, all the way up to like a 27-inch iMac. It scales perfectly and it's incredibly functional because all that's HTML5 and modern stuff. Igloo really brings an amazing amount of functionality and technology into the modern intranet. Uh, so check it out today. What's not to like? Get your free trial today at igloosoftware.com slash ATP. 
It's a free trial for everybody. And if your group has 10 or fewer people, it's free forever for you. So check it out. Igloosoftware.com slash ATP. Thanks to Igloo for sponsoring our show. All right. So then Research Kit and Care Kit. Um, Research Kit was introduced, I think they said about a year ago. Is that right? And Care Kit is a new kind of extension of that. I don't really have that much to say about this other than that. I very much applaud it. And I think they're doing great work here. Yep. That's another example of an initiative that other companies probably wouldn't do anything about because it's not going to be a big moneymaker. The number of people who are medical researchers who are also their customers is small. I don't know if that's a big market, but what, you know, it's not as big as like the consumer market. So why do they bother doing it? It's another one of those things that Apple does because they think it's the right thing to do and they're in a position to use their technology to make this stuff better. They're always bragging about a research kit. These companies that use it to collect uh, the, these uh, programs that use it to collect data, like within 24 hours, became the biggest Parkinson study just because it's, you know, they could distribute their app to all these people and, and gather data. And CareKit is the extension to say, you're not part of a medical research program, you're just a patient. And CareKit is something you, you can use to communicate your status back to your doctor and they can send you updates to your like you know your plan of of care after being released from the hospital after surgery or just keep tracking chronic conditions and stuff like that um and this stuff is all open source uh it's you know it's an admirable effort it got a lot of time in this thing care kit is a natural extension of research kit and this is exactly the type of thing that we would hope a company like apple uh would do so thumbs up Yep. I would also uh, refer everybody to the this week's episode of Connected over at Relay FM, episode number eighty three. Uh, they they have a lot more knowledge about the uh, the healthcare system and its needs, and uh, and they had a great discussion about this this week. Plus, it's a great episode otherwise. So I recommend you check out Connected in number eighty three for uh, uh, a more extended discussion on uh, on this research initiative for health and stuff. Awesome. Moving on, we have uh, the brand new Apple Watch. It's lighter, it's thinner, it's faster. Oh, wait, never mind. Um, no, but we did get new bands. Oh, I'm so sad for the Apple Watch. I I, mean, I I am, but I'm not. I didn't actually expect to get a new watch this time, and I'm not really disappointed that we didn't. Well, why not, though? Because the, the, the watch came out a year ago, and it was unveiled like 18 months ago. So why didn't you expect to get a new one? Because usually after a year of a new product, Apple ships a much improved second version. Because it was in the town hall, that's why. Well, okay. <laughs> but like, do you, is there a great reason why we don't have new watch hardware yet? Because he, here's, here's what I see about the watch. The problem with the watch is a combination of incredibly slow first-gen hardware and fairly young and limited and and kind of confusing software. And they have made some software advances since since the release. Uh, but most of them have not been very significant uh, in terms of like what the user actually experiences with the watch on a regular basis. Like for the most part it's like same stuff running at the same speed roughly, you know, just a few minor improvements here and there, but not not a whole lot. Uh, there's still tons of limits. Um, there's still not a lot of customization of the watch faces, stuff like that. It's like like as our friend Steve Trout Smith pointed out, there are more colors of the sport band than there are watch faces that you can configure in software. <laughs> like you, it, it, like it seems like what the watch desperately needs is faster hardware. Number one, and then a lot more work on the software. Number two, what we've have now a year later is is really neither of those things. Uh, at least from what we can see. Uh, instead, we have the same hardware now a year later 
that will presumably be here for at least another, I don't know, six months. Maybe, you know, maybe this fall we'll get new watches. I don't know. Maybe it'll be next spring. Who knows? Um, but we have now pretty old, pretty creaky hardware. And we have tons of variation that we can get in the case material, in the bands that we attach to it, in the colors of those bands. We have so much variation of all those things. But the actual watch experience is barely changed in the last year and needs a lot of help. So I, I kind of feel like I don't know, I have this kind of this kind of more this kind of larger concern with Apple that they are fighting a lot of battles on a lot of fronts. And we've talked in, in the past about how you know I'm I'm concerned about them being stretched too thin, but I think I think we're we're kind of seeing what that means here. You know, we see as as I mentioned a half hour ago, like the Macs get like generations skipped of hardware and just kind of ignored, you know, some models like the mini just get kind of neglected for years. Um it seems like the watch is possibly like a low priority for them uh, because now we have, you know, year number two of it and no new hardware yet and minimal change to the software. Uh, again, we'll see what happens at WBDC. You know, maybe maybe they will unveil, a, you know, a, a significant update to the software. I, I hope they would. That would be the place to do it in the time. Uh, but I just feel like I feel like the watch has not gotten enough attention and has not improved enough for being in in the point in its life cycle where it is we we didn't blink an eye when apple let the ipad air 2 continue to be the flagship ipad for more than a year right we didn't we didn't blink an eye at that because that was like okay well this is like the ipads it was like the ipad's fifth year and it was a great model nobody really had any complaints about it so great but the watch hasn't reached that point yet or shouldn't have reached that point yet like the watch this is a brand new product in its first year and it seems like it's already getting on a slow cycle, and I'm worried about it because it seems like if Apple was really putting their weight behind this product, it seems like we should have seen more by now. It almost it almost feels to me like Apple kind of lacks hustle the way they used to have it. Like they used to like really put their weight behind new things and really try to make them work. I mean, not everything they were paying, but you know, like most most things, <laughs> like major <laughs> new products, they would really put their weight behind and really back them up for a while and, and and drive them forward. And it just seems, you know, we'll see what happens with the TV going into this fall. Like, will, you know, will the TV get updated on a, on a regular basis or will it get neglected? We'll see what happens with the iPad, you know, as for you know for a while the ipad was neglected pretty badly and you know software wise at least and uh you know it got a lot of attention recently which we'll get to but um we'll see how that plays out uh, you know over the next couple of years i i hope they keep the attention level up for ipad users but i I don't know that they will i feel like they're fighting on so many fronts that they're they they're obviously having trouble staying competitive in certain areas like i i recently got an amazon echo the echo is really good and it, it kind of highlights what Siri should be and maybe an area of hardware Apple should consider being in that they're just not in and that and that Siri is not this advanced or is not this well integrated with other products and doesn't have any kind of developer story yet. And so like you look at you look at a lot of Apple projects now and it just seems like they lack that hustle that Apple stuff used to have. And I think a big part of that is just they're doing so much and they're fighting so many battles now. And I don't think the company's resources have grown to to match that. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? So a few things here. First, I don't know why I didn't expect a watch update, but it just the watch never felt to me that it was going to be a, an annual update sort of thing. And if maybe that's because 
I buy or I used to buy wristwatches once every like five or six years. And I, I think that we're running a little bit into this with the iPad as well, because the iPad isn't really an annual update kind of device either in terms of consumers. But I didn't really think we were going to get an update quite yet. And honestly, I'm not sure when we will. I, I couldn't even wager a guess. But I also don't think that I, I like my watch a lot, although I like it for a lot less than I thought it than I thought I would. I thought I would like to use all sorts of third party apps, and I thought I would like to use it almost not as a replacement for my phone, but I would turn to my watch more often than I would turn to my phone. And I've found that for me, my watch is a great notifications like triage device. It's great for the weather. It's great for my schedule and it's great for health. And that's about it. I don't use it for pretty much any third party apps um, outside of things that I stick on my watch faces complications, which basically is um, carrot weather and fantastical. We didn't talk about this, I think, last time, but uh, Apple's practice over the last several years with most of its products is they want to keep making a physical design for at least two years and they usually do that by keeping the the old models around right for the phones or with with the 5se even longer than two years um so even if apple revises the watch wouldn't you think they would want to keep making this this size and shape watch for two years and so that two years isn't up and so it's not so much that i didn't think this watch would still be around it's just that there's no there's no replacement for it and and that's that's the thing i have thinking about seeing all these new bands and everything is it's like if and when a new watch comes out first of all what can they even do well they can put a slightly lower power cpu that's slightly faster with you know new process technology or whatever and that will presumably let them get more battery life and maybe they can use a smaller battery and make it thinner and try to fix all the things that we think they should fix hardware wise just incrementally get a little bit better but then would they keep selling the i don't know the apple watch one right alongside it for say a reduced price uh not just the sport model but all of them uh reduced price just because they have all the tooling to build these watches and they would just say well we feel like we want to make every size and shape for at least two years to recoup the costs on the the, the tooling and the process um if that's the case i don't i mean I, i'm kind of like in the same boat as casey like i why didn't i expect it other than the town hall thing why didn't i expect new watches it just doesn't seem like I don't know. Like, I, I, even if they had a new one, I wasn't confident that the new one would advance to such a degree. Like, like uh, basically, Apple's treatment of this of this product has so clearly put it as a fashion accessory and not a tech accessory. And fashion accessories, like, they have been changing it. The fashion parts of it, new colors. You know, that you can get a, a rose gold one, you can get a aluminum gold one, you get a million different bands. Like, they have been doing that. And for a fashion focused product, that is hustle kind of you know what i mean and marco you're thinking of it as if it's a tiny computer and they have to advance the computing insides because the problems you see with the product have to do with like software uh the, the the sort of functionality of the software and the focus of the product and the speed of the hardware but as a fashion accessory it's gotten more updates than any product app has ever sold and so i i, I don't know I, I i feel mostly okay with waiting two years for a hardware update on this product if in the meantime every six months they give new bands and new colors and everything because that's that seems like a a cadence and a treatment of this product that is in keeping with the the supposed theme of the product and i agree with you that they they do have problems that they need to address on, on the software side and better hardware is always better but uh i don't know i'm not i'm not too broken up about it well i i think 
most of I, I agree with most of what you just said. You know, I am very happy they're keeping the fashion angle up, and they are doing a really impressive job of cranking out tons of new bands. And I'm very happy to see all these new bands because if I go back to my Apple Watch on a regular basis, you bet I'm going to rock something like the Red Leather Band or something crazy. Like, and I'm going to love having these new options come out all the time. Um, that's great, and I, I'm glad they're doing that. But that stuff is relatively easy. You know, relative to everything else the watch needs to be better, they're doing the easy stuff and the stuff that gets them a lot of profit. I, what what the watch needs to be good is both. It needs both the fashion angle to keep being up, you know, and honestly, you know, I'm not entirely sure that's incredibly well guided of them because the Apple Watch itself, the the watch part of it, if you really want to keep up with fashion, that part needs to change on a regular basis too. Well, they did change it. They have new colors and everything. Well, yeah, they changed it a little bit. That, that, that's a minor change for fashion. Ultimately, I don't think a smartwatch will be a fashion object for that reason, that they kind of can't change the, the body of it in, in dramatic ways frequently, you know, because of all the software environment that has to run on it and everything. So I, I wouldn't expect this to be a fashion item really ever if it ever was um but but if it if it is now you know i wouldn't expect that to last forever and treating it only as a fashion item i think is a mistake because that's not how fashion works you know fashion does not support the same rectangle with different bands indefinitely um so putting that fashion angle aside for a second what the watch needs is to be really good, even at those basic functions. So I'm not saying it needs a faster CPU to like play games on it or, or you know, to, or to run more advanced apps. I'm saying it needs faster CPU and better software, even just to do the basics. And you know, even simple things like the Bluetooth communication to the phone is still unreliable. Um, and I don't know whether that's the fault of Bluetooth, the big, you know, the big scary ghost of Bluetooth, or, or what. Uh, but you know, I have lots of other Bluetooth things that work great, so probably not just that. There's probably other reasons also. Um, there's so much the watch could do, either that it can't do today or that it does poorly today, that is all dependent on the hardware being very slow and the software being very limited to conserve power. So if they would do something like increase the CPU performance by 25%, uh, which, you know, based on their mobile chips from their phones and the progression those those have made, that is not unreasonable or unrealistic at all, you know, in all, in all likelihood. Because, again, this this hardware was shown to us in a nearly finished state 18 months ago. So they can probably release a new one that's pretty good now if they wanted to, um, if they put the resources behind it. And so a 20%, 25% gain in CPU performance would help tremendously. And suppose they could reduce power uh, draw by 20 25%. Well, then maybe they could increase the frequency that complications update by, which can enable stuff to work better and can enable new kinds of apps. So I'm not saying they have to make massive advances in like making this watch able to replace your phone or run really complicated apps or anything. I'm talking about just improving the basics by enough that you can that you can really, really dramatically improve the core functionality. Like if you just improve the the speed of the hardware and the power efficiency by you know not even like you know you don't even have to like quadruple them just like you know improve them by a double digit percentage and that can translate to real real gain i i would not say that you can look at this object and say oh you know what this is good enough for two years we don't need to update it no it's not good enough yet and maybe in a few years we'll get there uh, but we're not there yet and there's it really needs a lot of help to be a really good object uh besides just having cool bands Anyway, a new watch in six months with a, with a FaceTime camera, right? <laughs> Something like that. Oh, God, I hope not. 
I don't know. I, I, we need to move on, but I don't know if it's really fair to just say that, oh, this design can't work for two years. I mean, how long has Rolex looked about the same to someone like me who doesn't really tell the minute differences between them? All Panerais I've ever seen look the same to me. Every 911 is the same since the beginning of time. The 911s are not the same. They're the same. Yeah. At, Apple's not Rolex and Panerai and Porsche. And also, uh, there's a lot of Rolexes and Panerais, and they have gone in and out of fashion over time. Yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that this should be the forever look, but I think to say that it w- that it it will absolutely time out, so to speak, in the next two years, I don't know if that's really fair. It may end up that you're right, but I don't know if it's if we can really see that now. And in having these bands changing constantly is a good thing, like you said. And I wanted to also quickly say that I've been very impressed with the web presence for the watch since the beginning. Uh, the way they did the bands, like the kind of animations of them clasping and unclasping or whatever you call it. And I really like this new gallery that they have where you can select what case you would like to look at by kind of scrolling left and right. And then um, you can scroll left and right to figure out what band you like. And then they have all three faces as well. <laughs> but uh, I really do like this new web presence. I wish they had prices on here but i think it's the new gallery is really well done and there's something to be said for that yeah no i mean i i I think they are nailing it on the bands the bands are awesome and they continue to be awesome and they always have been awesome from day one like apple's bands are awesome but the rest of the watch also needs a lot of help and it so far we've seen almost none they could just be a band seller for other watches (laughs) wow it did get a price cut so there's that um what uh, did they talk about next uh tvos got an update um i don't really have a lot to say about that i don't know do you guys have anything uh we get to the highlights it'll be quick so they they put up the the future tv is apps if you keep saying that maybe it'll be true it would be nice if they got a subscription plan no subscription streaming plan this time five thousand tv apps they have i wonder how many of those are games it's fine um, you can do folders, which seems weird, but I, I suppose, you know, it's, I, I wish, I kind of wish there was a nicer way to rearrange icons on the screen than having to use that silly remote, uh, Siri expanded to do all the things that we thought it should have done in the beginning as in letting you dictate. <laughs> um, although it's weird, like you can dictate your passwords, but I don't want to dictate my passwords in, in, in the word in the, in the same room like that my kids are in because they'll just like memorize it and buy things or something, you know, um, but anyway, that's good, and they expanded Siri to search more applications. So this, these are all, you know, it's nice to see that the Apple TV, at least on the software front, is getting steady updates. There's still a team working on it that is not just sitting there and languishing. iCloud Photo Library, again, we all thought that should have been there in the beginning, and we were sad that it wasn't, and now it is. I have to say, having tried it, the performance is not great. I enabled it. I logged in with my Apple ID, and then I went to my favorites album and looked at a bunch of blank thumbnails for a really long time. I tried to scroll around as the thumbnail started to appear, and I saw a cute picture that I wanted to show. Every time I scrolled around to it with my remote and pressed the button, when that picture was totally highlighted, it was like the one that was big and coming out at you, it would open a different picture. It was driving me nuts. So their collection view is is weird and buggy. And to this day, when I go to iCloud Photos and go into my favorites collection, it's just a bunch of blank thumbnails with a couple of random ones filled in. So like, how long do I have to wait for it to appear? Uh, It's not looking great, but I'm glad it's getting updates. Yeah, and I really have come to love my new Apple TV. Now, admittedly, I use basically Plex, Netflix, and um, music on it, like the the Apple Music app. I would kill for a native Spotify app, but 
I mean, I even for those very few limited uses, it's actually kind of the same story I had with my watch earlier. For those limited uses, I really, really love it. And and I'm happy with the way it is today. So, I mean, improvements are good. Of those 5,000 apps, I feel like I've used about 10 of them to try to stream video. <laughs> like, I mean, I guess it's good that I have options. I just go through all of them and find out in what ways they fail to fulfill my, you know, silly lossless playback of Blu-ray things. But there's such variety in terms of like, what I, I was using Infuse, DS Video, the, some other video one, Plex itself, uh, like all, all these different apps to try to see how will you be able to play this? Will you play it back? Will you try to transcode it? What audio will be available here? Oh, this one only exposes stereo. This one exposes the AC3 but converts it to PCM. This one will send the AC3 directly to my thing. And of course, none of them do 24 <laughs> frames per second cadence. Anyway, God, video's uh, the it's worst. fun going through the, raps, the, the apps that are there, but it's sad when I still can't find one to fulfill my needs. I'm so happy I don't care about video as much as you do. It's such a Amen. pain in the ass. Amen. <laughs> oh, stereo forever. All right. Our final sponsor <laughs> Our final sponsor this week is Squarespace. Start building your, your website today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code ATP at checkout to get 10% off. Squarespace lets you build websites. That means you don't have to build it yourself. You don't have to host your own CMS. You don't have to patch your, you know, for security updates and everything. You don't have to go to any other hosted services or integrate a whole bunch of garbage into your site. It's just straightforward. They host it for you. You're on their platform. And the interface that you get is incredibly easy to use. And what you make here is a professionally designed site. Regardless of your skill level, whether you're an advanced web developer or whether you are not a coder at all, uh, there's no coding required with Squarespace. These tools are intuitive. They're easy to use. Everything is what you see is what you get. All these visual previews everywhere. It's you, You're literally just editing the page as you see it. Uh, it's a really advanced system and could not be easier for both novices and advanced users. And the best thing, if you are an advanced user, if you're a web developer, the best thing to me with Squarespace is that you don't have to do it. Like That's the biggest argument for me to use Squarespace is I hate making websites and I don't have the time to maintain websites. So if I outsource it to Squarespace, I get a really advanced platform that is totally out of my hands. It, like You put your stuff in there and then you're just done. If you're making it for somebody else, that's even better because then you don't have to support it. Squarespace supports it. I love it. I use, I've used it for that. I use it for my own stuff. And it's great because the last thing I want to do is really just spend time making a website these days. And Squarespace lets me make an incredibly nice looking website with almost no effort and especially no ongoing effort. You get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Start your free trial site right now. It's a real free trial. No credit card required. You don't have to like remember to cancel or anything. Check it out right now. Squarespace.com. When you sign up, make sure to use the offer code ATP to get 10% off your first purchase. Thanks a lot to Squarespace. So Apple did something mean during this uh, event. They came out with a new four-inch phone, and that's mean because it was awesome. As I think we, as I think <laughs> we discussed last time, I really do like my 6s, and I really have come to like all the, the screen real estate that it has. But every time I pick up my uh, 5s that we use as a noisemaker for Declan, I just think to myself, "Oh, this feels so much better in the hand," and "Oh, I wish my 6s was." more like this. And so now I'm torn. Like what what would I do? What would I do in if there's a new four inch phone in addition to the others in, in this October or thereabouts? We'll see when we get there. But 
the new SE, the iPhone SE, it's a new four-inch phone with the guts of the 6S for the most part in what looks to be a damn near identical uh, case to the 5S looks really good. And I haven't had the time to catch up on a lot of the reactions from this, but I did see that a uh, friend of the show, John Gruber, sounds like he might be switching. It's not an identical case. That's that's why Johnny Ive wasn't there, because he was so in love <laughs> with his machine chamfered, as he said, edges. I think that's how he said it. Anyway, uh, the, little, the little edge that they shave off, the, the chamfered edge on the, on the outside of the case used to be like polished. Right. It's pronounced bazel. Yeah. So <laughs> it, it, would, it would be like... Um, I assume the manufacturing process was they would make the case anodized, uh, or not anodized, it was, was it stainless steel or aluminum? I don't know. Yeah, it's aluminum, right? The, the 5S case? I think so. Anyway, it would have that sort of matte finish, and then as a final step, they would shave down the edge, and that would be all shiny and pretty. And I always thought that detail looks really good when it's close up, but when I see the phone in front of me, it's too small to read as anything particularly impressive. It would also nick up you could notice nicks on it more than other places and the new phone this seem, may seem like a subtle thing like oh it's exactly the same case as the 5s but it isn't they they mentioned that the edge was different now it is just merely another shaped piece of aluminum that is completely anodized on all edges and all surfaces exactly the same way which has got to be much easier to manufacture and probably more durable um and it comes in all the usual colors we expect silver space gray rose gold and gold which is now like that that set of four kind of pale looking pastel colors is now like the apple color scheme for all of their products that's why we, you know <laughs> fully expecting to have a uh, rose gold macbook uh pro but who knows if that will come to pass but anyway it looks does it look less fancy than the 5s did maybe if you could see that shiny edge i mean maybe it is less fancy but on the other hand it's it's kind of more uniform in appearance um but yeah, it, it that I think that little shiny edge is a great example of how this is like exactly like the five S with six X internals, except not quite. And the not quite parts of it are the only few dings against it. If you were really truly hoping for a one hundred percent of the power of the six S in merely a smaller package, you got really close to it, closer than I thought that that we would, because really this does have all the parts that count from uh, the the six S. But it's not 100% of the way there. So no one is going to confuse this as a flagship phone. But for a lot of people, I think the, the SE shows that Apple learned the lessons of the 5C and that people probably do want a 4-inch phone, but they don't want to feel like they're getting the cheap or crappy phone because the number of people who will make that trade-off is much smaller. They're like, oh, but I really want a white phone that I don't have to get a case with and the 5C feels so good, but oh, but it's slow and it's slower than the other one, right? And so this one takes away most of the excuses. Um, if I was a small screen phone person, the one missing feature that I would be most upset about is the new Touch ID sensor because I think yep. it's really cool that it's faster and maybe secondarily missing 3D touch and I totally understand why those are missing. And if they're going to skimp on anything, those are exactly what I would have skimped on. Uh, but overall, I, I think everyone who's seen this phone is pleasantly surprised about how how much that if, hey, you want a small screen phone? This is a really, really good small screen iPhone. Like you, you will not feel bad about getting this phone for the most part, unless you're obsessed with like Touch ID or 3D Touch. As we were talking about this, I pulled out my 5S. And I started using it, and I started trying to transcribe what you were saying into notes, like I said, typing on it and everything. And, oh, man, it's just so nice to hold. It's so nice to hit the sleep button in the right spot. 
it's it's so nice to reach everything on screen and i honestly i know a lot of people are saying that they're disappointed that the design really didn't change i think that's a valid criticism however i really like the design <laughs> like I, I i like this design a lot more than i like the 6s design uh, and the 6 design i just think this is a great phone and it's honestly very tempting to attempt to go back um i i don't think i will because it is really hard for me to type on it but man i do love the way it feels and i love being able to reach everything so i totally get the appeal and this is a lower price phone too like i mean ignoring the fact that it's still 16 gigs gag but this is the <laughs> cheapest is this is the new cheapest way to get an iphone right like to get the if, uh, in their current lineup of phones this is the cheapest one and what you get for that amount of money for the, for the cheapest amount that you get is a phone that's essentially as fast as their flagship phone. Yeah. Which, that's that's a hell of a deal. Like, again, ignoring the 16 gigs, you know, because you have the same, like, it's it's a good deal on an iPhone. You get an iPhone with probably really good battery life. Uh, it's really comfortable. It's super fast. It's got a really good camera. comes in all the variety of colors. And you get it for way cheaper than, than the 6S. But it's the same speed as the 6S. Yeah, it's a really impressive offering. Yeah, it th- it's such a good value for what you're getting. I mean, really... I think they're going to sell a ton of these things. And we might not hear about it very much because they might be selling a lot more like, you know, outside the U.S. But I think it's a great product release. You know, if not a little bit, you know, half-butted in the design department, but I don't, because I like this design, I don't consider that a bad thing. Um, the 16 gig part is unfortunate, but this is kind of a strategy tax. Like, <laughs> it's like they they stuck with the 16 gigs so long for all their other stuff, for the high end especially, what are they going to do? Release this new, way cheaper phone? It's the, the only one with decent storage, and it's the cheapest one. <laughs> yeah. Release this one at 32 gigs at $400, and then, like, the $700 6S doesn't have 32 gigs? Like, that, <laughs> like they can't... Yeah. They're not going to do that. Uh, so, even if they wanted to finally fix the incredibly bad, like, you know, customer-sat debt they build up by these 16-gig phones... Uh, they can't fix it with this. They got to wait till the seven in the fall and fix it then. That's the other minor thing. Like this one, this goes sixteen. What is it? Sixteen sixty four, and that's it. I believe that's right. There's no one twenty eight, right? Yeah. So, so that's another area where, like, you know, the, the, to list all the areas where this falls down is, you know, no, no, uh, no latest Touch ID sensor, no three D Touch, no one hundred twenty eight gig model. Um, what else is it missing? You know what? I bet it doesn't support reachability. <laughs> yeah no camera no camera bump if you're looking for that sorry you'll have to get a different model <laughs> yep and as as a lot of people have noted because it will most likely work with all the same accessories as the 5s you can probably get not only a bunch of really nice cases and batteries and stuff that were made for it forever ago but they don't cost anything anymore because like <laughs> you know you look at try to buy accessories for today's iphone or ipad and they're you know 50 bucks Try to buy them for the one that's two years old, and they're like a dollar on Amazon. Like everything costs nothing because everyone's trying to clear them out because these phones are no longer being sold in the U.S. Uh, or no longer popular. Now here's a brand new phone where you can get a ton of effectively free accessories for it. So again, adding to the value aspect, it's a great value. Yeah, I'm I'm really impressed with this. I think this was a great this is a great job. I think, like John said, the places where they they uh, you know, skimp. They did it the right spots, the spots you would expect. 
I don't think I'm going to switch back because I like the screen real estate enough on the slightly larger phone that I think I'm going to stick with it. I also really do like 3D Touch a lot. I might be the only one, but I really use I, I, I use it quite a lot. I use it quite a lot in Tweetbot. I don't use the shortcuts very often um, from Springboard, but I use 3D Touch a ton in Tweetbot, if nowhere else. And in that sense, I would miss 3D Touch a lot. Um, this does the the SE does get live photos, which are also important to me now. So it's a tough call because God, do I love this design? I agree with you, Marco, but. I think I would probably stick with the, uh, what is it, 4.7-inch phone, whatever the yeah. success size is. I'll probably stick with that in the future, but I would not begrudge anyone who decided that this was the phone for them. God, I keep fe- this feels so good. The cheaper front-facing camera, too. The success of yes. the 5-megapixel front-facing camera, uh, f2.2 aperture, and this one has a 1.2-megapixel f2.4 aperture. So, yeah, they skimped, and all the, all the areas they skimped, are all exactly the areas that I would have picked. Because, again, if you're going to skimp on a camera, skimp on the front one because nobody cares. Uh, don't skip on the back one. So, yeah, so the, the expectation is that this will sell a lot better than the 5C did because it's just such a much a much better phone than the 5C that people won't be disappointed or embarrassed to buy it or own it, uh, that it is a fully, a fully-fledged iPhone. It's, it's a good reason they changed the name. Like, I don't know. They didn't say what the SE stood for. I think they, uh, they did say special edition. I'm pretty sure. Anyway, the best joke uh, explanation I heard is that it uh, stands for sorry, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> for taking away the four-inch phone and then for resurrecting it with the 5C, which was an awesome-looking product in every way except for the stuff that was inside it. You know, it was slow and old and creaky and small. I forget what the storage uh, limits on the 5C were, but they were even worse. Well, they didn't They didn't take away the 5S. They took away the 5 yeah, I know, but but like it's that was this is the equivalent of hey, we're going to make a cheap bottom end phone for people, and we'll make it fun. And I think the five C was a great product, except that it was you know it was not it was not as good. It didn't have the same innards as they didn't have any yeah. small phone that had the same innards as the flagship phone. Like their small phone had worse innards than their flagship phone. This, that, I mean, it's it's almost shocking that like six months after the success comes out or whatever is it six months something like that that there is a new small phone that is just as fast as the flagship phone in most of the ways that matter to people, which is totally weird and has not happened. It's not like a two-year-old phone. It's not like, oh, we just moved the innards down. We're still selling the old models. Um, So, yeah, I I like this trend, uh, and I think this is a good phone, and I would totally recommend that if people want a small phone that they get this, I wouldn't hesitate at all. Yeah, although the only thing is I I do think for people like us who – who are happy with the six or at least have been happy until now with the six size. <laughs> I think it's wise to at least wait until we see the seven before. Be like, oh, I'm going to jump back right now. Like, <laughs> so I personally like, you know, I am incredibly tempted by both sizes of iPhone. I don't have, <laughs> I'm incredibly tempted by this nice, awesome small one. Cause as I feel this five S it just looks and feels amazing. And it's so easy to hold and use. And I love the sleep button on top. Um, still, I, you know, now 18 months into owning the six line of phones half my screenshots contain the volume overlay uh and the other half of them didn't happen because i accidentally put the phone to sleep so yeah, God. i'm so i'm yeah. getting worse at the screenshot gesture i don't understand how this is possible but somehow i'm getting worse at it <laughs> me too like i used to have a much higher hit rate of being successfully able to take screenshots yeah, I think most people are not on the cadence that you just like people don't know like oh the seven is coming they just wander into an Apple store when their contract is up or whatever and they get whatever phone is for sale then and so I think it's fine like it is it is weird from our perspective like 
if you're one of those people who who lives and dies by the the cycle of apple releasing new phones and always gets the latest one when it comes out it's like this six month thing is putting me in a weird position because even if i wanted this phone would i buy it now because wouldn't i just well like marcus i wait until see what the seven is like and what's going to happen then or but regular people just go into the store and they'll it's so much better for them to go in and to see this lineup of phones and there really is something for everybody now except for the people who want a really big battery and a really small phone but you know (laughs) yeah i feel bad um there's got to be a lot of people like me. So when Aaron Aaron's on the S cycle, she doesn't want to have a phone every year. And when it was time for her to get a success, I said to her, basically, look, you can keep your old phone, which is getting a little bit long in the tooth now, or you can just understand that Apple will never release a new four inch phone and just get on board now. So, okay, fine. And so she got on board with the success. And I think by and large, she likes it. But then fast forward a few months, and sure enough, there's Apple's brand new four-inch phone uh, in rose gold, no less. And uh, I feel terrible for that. So, sorry, Aaron. (laughs) My bad. All right. iPad Pro 9.7-inch. Is that what it's called? (laughs) Something like that. I don't even know. I think Um, that's what Apple calls it on their site. The new iPad Pro. Yep. Uh, Not a lot of surprises here Overall, definitely some surprises, but looks good. I, I'm not a I'm not a big iPad kind of guy. I like my mini. I love my mini, in fact. But uh, it's a little bit tempting, even for me, to go big, especially because from everything I've understood, um, this thing is tiny. You know, it was it's thin. It's very light. They said under a pound, right? I mean, it's got to be super portable. Well, it's it's exactly the same physical dimensions and weight as the Air Two within like a, a point oh oh one something like that. It's it is effectively identical to the Air Two in size and weight. I was so excited about this this iPad during the announcement because if you watch the event, everything they say about it is like yes, yes, that yes, like just everything you know because it's it's what we all talked about basically a shrunken down version of the ipad pro exactly as the name implies with all the features of the ipad pro and on top of that it does some things better than the ipad pro which of course are the things they highlight in the keynote with the whole true tone display and the uh well they they talked about the usb3 speed thing but we'll get to that in a second um and that it's small and thin and it uses a stylus it's got a smart connector it's got a keyboard cover that fits the thing you know all the whole nine yards and it's only after the keynote that i find out all the things that kind of broke my heart i feel like this this like uh this this ipad pro is is uh my fredo um i mean we all know they're not big it's not that big of a deal the the killer one for me is i really wanted this to have four gigs of ram it's got pro in the name for crying out loud i know it probably doesn't need four gigs of ram maybe because the screen is smaller or whatever but I mean, it's a pro like it does multitasking I would love it if it had four gigs of RAM. That is the one that really, really broke my heart. Um, the other stuff, uh, only getting USB 2 speeds. I don't know if that's just for the camera adapter or if it's just, you know, for everything having to do with that lighting port. I don't know the answer to that. But definitely the the, the new camera adapter thing says uh, the iPad Pro, the big iPad Pro gets USB 3 speeds and, and the little one gets USB 2 speeds. Not that I use the, the camera connector. It's just that, like, I want... I want, if you get this device with this much storage, maybe you say you get the 128 gig model, I would like it to have USB 3 speeds through that because I, like uh, the, the weird tech nerd that I am, still doing encrypted backups on my Mac and it takes for friggin' ever to <laughs> copy everything at USB 2 speeds from like a 128 gig uh, thing. But 
Yeah, the the RAM the RAM complement is the one that is uh, the most disappointing, and everything else is is minor after that. But I guess you would expect that because like, shouldn't the bigger one be more powerful or whatever? I just had this vision in my mind that this would be exactly like the big iPad Pro, better in a couple of ways and worse in none, and that is not exactly the case. Overall, I think it's a solid release, and I think I think it's going to really really help the iPad lineup in general as as much as any release can you know it's again it's not going to save the ipad if the ipad sales were are going to continue to stagnate this release is not going to meaningfully change that but for the people who are buying ipads this is an awesome ipad this is a great i think the only thing about this product that's weird is that it was released afterwards like if you imagine the process flipped and if you imagine them either either the 9.7 and the 12.9 released at the same time or in the opposite order i think it makes a lot more sense um right now there's a bunch of weird stuff around the way they did this you know weird weird perceptions of like wait this kind of sucks if i just bought the 12 inch and now i don't have the the weird color display or whatever and you can you can excuse some of it with like well you know the, the camera is better on the small one because it's you're taking it around you don't really need a better camera on the big one like you, you can excuse a lot of it uh, the simple fact is the staggering of these things and the differences between them are kind of odd, but it's fine. Doesn't really matter. It'll and we'll all forget about it in a year. So ultimately, a very solid release, I, I think. Very solid. And I think if if anyone is a heavy iPad user, uh, this is definitely worth looking at. And I'm really glad they're making this, even though I probably won't use one. But very solid release, I think. Yeah, I I largely agree with you. Um, it's like I said earlier. It's enough that it's tempting me to go back to the um, mid range mid size iPad uh, from my Mini. I have a question for the two of you guys, though. What's the flagship iPad? And I, I'm genuinely asking because my immediate answer, if I were to ask myself that, is the i is the big iPad Pro. I almost said the iPad Pro is the uh, bigger iPad Pro, but it doesn't have some really nice features like the True Tone display and. And so I wonder, what is the flagship iPad these days? Yeah, I think that's just because of the cadence that Marco mentioned, the weird cadence that, like, they seem like they could have been released together, but wouldn't it be weird that the small one has the color sensors on it and the big one doesn't? And it's almost like like they got out of sync at, at some point and, you know, whatever. So I think because of the cadence, the the flagship one has to be the... Uh, the the latest released one because it has more better stuff and you can excuse the smaller ram and stuff because oh this is the smaller model but you would imagine that when the new big one comes out it will have all the same features as the other one and then it will be the flagship i mean what's the flagship mac the uh the 5k imac because it's faster in some games than the, than the <laughs> pro with the d700 what's going on apple what's the flagship laptop i would argue it's the macbook one yeah, I don't know. It depends on what you know, what flagship means. And we have weird definitions of it. It used to be the old days it was the fastest computer, but that really hasn't been true in a long time. Uh, in the context of what we're saying, I would argue that it's basically like the high profile one that people lust over that is like the defining one that kind of defines the image of the whole range, right? And to me, on the iPad, that's the Air, uh, or you know, now the Pro Mini, whatever we call it. Um, and in the Macs, I'd say it's the MacBook One. I don't know. Like, I, I can't really tell on the iPad. It depends on if the iPad makes this transition into more a more capable platform because 
if you stop thinking of an iPad as a bigger version of the phone and start thinking of it as it's my more portable laptop replacement, then the Big Pro becomes the flagship because it is better able to replace a laptop than the other ones. But it really, really depends. It's hard to tell in this period. And I don't think the the weird differences in features, like, because that's basically what it comes down to is what hardware does the big one have that the small one doesn't? It has the same quality screen but it doesn't have the light sensors so it can't have the true tone display like that's not going to come in a software update it just doesn't have the sensors for it but it does have more ram i don't know i i, I don't really sleep thinking about it and a couple of people were asking in the chat room if i'm gonna get this laptop i, I have an ipad uh three i waited a really long time to get that because i wanted a retina ipad and i got a retina ipad and i'm still using it at this point it's pretty much at the end of this, its life not because there's anything wrong with it and it still looks very new and it's in good condition it only has a small dent in the corner from when i put down my backpack too hard at wwc three years ago or whatever uh it has served me very well i still use it every day um this new ipad pro 9.7 inch does almost every, it's almost exactly what i wanted like the, the reason it broke my heart because it was so close to being like everything that i could have asked for and more instead it's almost everything that i could have asked for it is so much better than the one i have now i'm definitely getting one 100 percent I'm glad they come in all sorts of different colors. I'm sad only one of them has a black front. And the only reason I'm sad, not because I don't I don't dislike the color of the back, but because I'm always afraid that someday there'll be none of them with a black front, and then I'll be really sad. So anyway, I am getting this one, and uh, I will enjoy it, and hopefully it will last me at least as long as my uh, iPad uh, 3 lasted me. A um, couple other very, very quick thoughts. Uh, first of all, the camera adapter, there was the call out for podcasters that it's now you can power it with uh, one of the bricks, which is exciting. Um, Jason Snell wrote a post about that uh, earlier today, uh, um, which we'll link to in the show notes. And that's that's significant, though, because, you know, for a while, ever since the very first iPad that had the camera connection kit and then later on, there's lightning version of it when they switched to lightning. There was always this this thirty dollar adapter that you could get that would let you plug in a USB device to an iOS device, and this has always been you know it was officially for cameras and it would officially work with only iPads. However, this for years has worked for other things, and it was always kind of undocumented, and you were never really sure like, does Apple is is this going to be supported in the future? Is, is this going to work? And things like sound equipment was a big one. Um, also like network, like USB network interface and stuff like that. Like these things that like, you know, USB devices that you would think wouldn't work with iOS devices that, that often just did through like standard USB profiles and everything through, through this port. But there were always two major problems with this. Number one was that there was not enough power on the port to power a device that had high power needs, uh, which does include a lot of, a lot of USB devices. So like you could do a hack where you could like buy a powered hub and plug the upstream into this adapter for the iPad and have the, have the powered hub power the other devices. Um, so then th- that was kind of an issue. And then the second issue was always that while you were using this adapter, your iOS device it was plugged into itself could not be charged or charging. So you could only use this adapter effectively on battery power. So you couldn't have something like kind of permanently installed like at a station or something like that. Um, so there were always this, these these two problems. This new adapter they've they've they're selling now for forty bucks is the exact same adapter, but has a lightning port inbound next to the USB port. So you can plug in a, an iPad class power brick into that, and not only charge the iOS device that this adapter is plugged into and keep it charged, but then also power a USB device that needs a decent amount of power, like an audio interface. So they've solved both of these problems with that one stupid little port. 
with this and and even bigger phil schiller called out on stage this kind of usage he said for podcasters he even mentioned network devices like things that again we thought all these years like the the handful of people who were who were playing with this thing we thought that this was like this unsupported undocumented thing that was going to break at any time and now here's phil schiller on stage advertising this as functionality with and releasing this awesome new adapter that makes it a lot better than it was before so this allows things like ios devices to have like audio interfaces like in real production use here like where you can have everything plugged in and have everything be reliable and have everything be fully powered uh, you can do things like uh, in like like a network adapter and have ethernet on uh you know on the uh, on an ios device for the first time ever besides the apple tv um like all this stuff that was really just difficult or tricky or impossible to do before or would suck in other ways now with this one adapter now sucks a lot less and now can be it opens up new doors for ios devices and that's that i think is pretty big yeah i completely agree uh i'm really pleased with this event as a whole actually i mean there's some things that bum me out i'm sad there's no new max um uh, i understand your sadness about the watch even though i'm not entirely sad about it um this uh, iphone se which someone in the chat earlier said uh it stands for sorry aaron which i thought was pretty funny um <laughs> that that uh that that also i mean it makes me happy in the grand scheme of things but it's it's making me ha- second guess my choices but all in all, I thought this was a really good event. Um, I didn't leave the event thinking, oh my God, I want to buy everything like I often do at Apple events, but I rewatched it earlier tonight and in talking with you guys about it and thinking more about it, I think it was a really solid event. So, John, thumbs up, thumbs down overall? I thought it was, I mean, it was exactly the scale event you expect from Town Hall. And despite the RAM breaking my heart, I am really happy with that new iPad. I expect to be really happy with it as a product. I'm not so happy about paying a bajillion dollars for a front and back case for it, which I would yeah. remind I would remind people who are listening to this, you don't have to buy Apple cases. Lots of people are going to sell cases for the iPad. I know it's hard to believe, but you do not have to pay Apple's prices for their cases. Lots of people will sell you much cheaper cases, but if you are a sucker slash stickler like me, I'm going to end up buying the Apple ones because whatever but anyway you don't have to but i will and i might even buy that stupid keyboard too because whatever anyway i buy an ipad like once every three years so i save my pennies and and that's what i'm going to do but you but you listener out there you don't have to buy all those cases because because it's like 70 dollars for the current case and 60 dollars for the back and you're adding so much money to the cost and anyway and i'm probably going to get the 128 gig model just because i fill every ios device i have i should probably get the 256 if i was smart but i don't know if i can stomach that price increase well do you fill ipads though because like a lot of times people will fill an iphone because a load of home bunch of music onto it but an ipad not necessarily no i fill it i fill it with video and and i just it, they always get filled up yeah they fill even just photos even at this point yeah i, I really should buy the 256 i don't know if i can can handle paying like twelve hundred dollars all in for whatever this ipad but anyway it's going to be awesome i'm going to love it and uh that alone may, and i and i even though i'm not going to buy the iphone se i think it's really good and so this was a fitting end to the town hall uh room venue for apple events all right thanks a lot to our three sponsors this week harry's igloo and squarespace and we will see you next week now the show is over they didn't even mean to begin Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental. accidental John didn't do any research Marco and Casey wouldn't let him Cause it was accidental, accidental. Oh, it was accidental, accidental. And G 
You can find the show notes at atp.fm And if you're into Twitter, you can follow them at C-A-S-E-Y-L-I-S-S So that's Casey Liss, M-A-R-C-O A-R-M E-N-T Marco Armin S-I-R-A-C U-S-A Syracuse It's accidental I forgot to mention something uh, in the iPad section very quickly. Um, embedded Apple SIM. Weird, right? Like, not bad weird. Not bad weird. It's good weird, but it's weird. Why is it weird? Well, okay, maybe weird isn't the right way to describe it. Or maybe it's not the SIM that's weird, but the way the American carriers are treating it is... Well, they're just carriers. Carriers are going to be carriers. Yeah, it's as weird yeah. as it always is, really, with with how they lock it and everything. Yeah, but Apple is helping. Apple is acknowledging, look, carriers are going to be annoying. But we're going to help you out here by not hogging the one SIM slot on this device with our thing. We're just going to build our thing in. And if carriers are sane, everything's great. But we know they're not going to be. So our SIM is there for when you need it. And for those annoying carriers, you can swap SIMs and do all this other crap. And- right. But except, uh, wasn't it, was it Verizon where if you, if, if it's, well, wasn't one of them where if you, if you activated with them, it would actually lock the Apple SIM also? I'm almost sure that's AT&T. Yeah, but you can always get that stuff unlocked. Yeah, there is there is a whole bunch. We'll link to uh, what, uh, Panzerino's article in TechCrunch explaining all the different ins and outs. Like, Apple has done everything it could to make this less slightly less annoying for you. And as you know what's going on with it, you... You will have the most options possible. And I think even the ones where they lock it, don't uh, doesn't every carrier have to unlock it if you ask for it at this point? So it's I just, don't know. It's just more of a hassle, but but at least they're not hogging a slot. So like again, if you and I think you can even do like you could have. I assume you can have like T-Mobile or something using the Apple SIM, but then also have like a Verizon SIM for when you travel and stick that one in. And that's exactly that's exactly what I do with my iPad Mini, which I know is not using an embedded Apple SIM, but the physical Apple SIM that I have for it, uh, I typically have connected to T-Mobile, although I can swap between a couple with that. And then I have a Verizon physical SIM that I'll pop in if I'm in one of the many places that does not have T-Mobile coverage. Yeah, So they're doing the best they can, and I like it. And it'll be great when the entire, uh, at least in the U.S. world, is standardized on the built-in Apple SIM, and we don't have to deal with it anymore, but who knows when the hell that'll happen. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Um, any other thoughts that we didn't cover during the main part of the show? There was that kind of dig from Schiller, which is a little weird. Yeah, the, the people people using a five year old PCs like I I understand what he's getting at, but that was badly uh, considered for multiple reasons. First, it's like kind of like a you know some people can't afford to buy a new PC all the time, so you're taking a dig at the, the you know people who have less money than you, and it, that's the type of thing where it's just he's maybe not even thinking as as some you know as someone like the rest of us who you know can buy hardware whenever they want to buy hardware. It's sometimes easy to forget that. That's not something that everybody can do, and it's insensitive to say, "Oh, you're using a f- let's let's all laugh at the people using five year old computers." Of course, I'm sitting here next to like an eight year old computer, but anyway, yeah, I could have bought a new one if I wanted to. Um, so it's insensitive in that way, and it's kind of a, a bet, even ignoring that entirely. Apple, as we just pointed out, sells computers with essentially multi-year-old internals in them because they don't update them. So it's highlighting something that Apple should be embarrassed about, the fact that they will sell you a Mac Mini with these ancient innards and the fact that they haven't updated the laptops at this particular event and the fact that the Mac Pros insides have skipped a generation. Like, those are all things that Apple should not be drawing attention to and shouldn't, you know. So that was probably not a good idea. That line, I think, 
if he could take it back, he probably would. Um, well, also positioning the iPad as like the inevitable replacement for all these people with Windows PCs, or the or the best replacement for all these people with Windows PCs, uh, I, I think is really optimistic um, for a number of reasons. You know, price being a big one, but also just like iOS is not windows and it's not mac os and there are you know as we've discussed at length there's a lot of things that are great in ios and a lot of people can get where they're worked on an ios however you can't do a lot of things on ios that you can do on pcs and macs and a lot of people need to do those things uh especially for their jobs that are using these old pcs if, if you have a five-year-old windows machine aren't you going to probably be more likely to have your needs served by an ipad than not like i get what they're getting at no not necessarily it depends on what your needs are if your needs are like checking email and browsing the web sure you're going to be better off that's that's most people's things and video conferencing and sending people instant messages and like the, the ipad does fulfill all the computing needs for a lot of people well but like once you get into like shuffling files back and forth and like it it's once you get into files and dealing with files which a lot of people do it starts getting a little bit dicey on ios where it's where things start being like well you can do that but it's awkward or it's or you have to know these these power user tricks or things like that and and of course there's you know there, there's just a lot of limitations and a lot of changes to the way the system works and what it does and doesn't do and you know you'd be surprised in the real world like how many people need like one of those weird hacks that you can't do on ios or they need one app that apple would never approve for the app store that just you know things like call recorder like you know it's like a lot of people need like one or two of those things and that's enough of a deal killer that they just can't do their work on iOS or it's incredibly clunky for them to do their work on iOS. Yeah, but if you're going to pitch this, the iPad as a PC replacement, the people you want to pitch it to are the least demanding users and the least demanding users are going to have the oldest computers and they're also not going to have Macs because if they were demanding, they would be annoyed by their credit Windows PC, right? So like, you know, <laughs> in, in the Apple frame set is like, this is our audience. If you don't really care enough about computers to buy a new one very frequently, and if you don't even use a Mac because you don't see any big difference and it just seems like, well, a PC is a PC, you are the type of person we think is most likely to, if we gave you an iPad after a little while, even if it doesn't do everything that your five-year-old PC did, to be like, yeah, but this is kind of nicer. Like, I have less stuff to worry about. Don't have to worry about viruses. It's nice that I can carry it around with me. Um you know, so they're they're making the pitches they can make. It doesn't mean that that it is truly the PC replacement they were they were you know. But obviously, that's the angle they're going for, and they are to their credit finally at least modifying both the hardware and software uh, to try to fulfill that goal. And so this is like stage one point one. The iPad Pro was the big first step, and you know the, the iOS with the split screen and everything. And then one point one is take some of that technology and move it down. So now you've got a stylus and more power and the four speakers and everything like it is the new ipad the ipad air 3 essentially is a much more compelling pc replacement uh tablet than, than even just the air 2 was even if only because of the possibility of the the stylus right ignoring everything else like just because i mean i know apple doesn't want to talk about this and it's maybe why they didn't do all the navigation stuff but like the stylus kind of does make it possible to have smaller touch targets on devices that support a pencil. I know Apple doesn't want to talk about it, but it's there, <laughs> you know, and it opens the door to for developers because there's no, I don't think App Review is going to reject you if you don't have a 44 point high uh, touch. I mean, I know no. that because there's tons of iOS apps out there, right? So these are baby steps in that direction. Um, so 
I kind of understand the pitch they were making, but it wasn't that great. And I think the only other point that I wanted to make about the thing was this, uh, t- uh, the presentation was this tweet by, I think it was a tweet by Zach Sitchi, I think his last name is, mm-hmm. that the entry-level cost to Apple c- computing ecosystem is the lowest it's ever been. You can get into a flagship, really good, well-performing, not cruddy three-year-old model iPhone for 400 bucks you can get into an ipad for 270 you can get a mac mini which is cruddy and old for 500 bucks and you don't want that <laughs> one because it's really bad and you can get a macbook air for 900 bucks so these are all three digit prices at spanning a pretty big range from mid 200s to 900 bucks and historically speaking i think it's probably never been cheaper to get into uh, an apple product now the complaint we always have is would you recommend someone you actually cared about buy one of these cheapest models? In the case of the iPhone, it, sure, yeah. I mean, even with the 16 gigs, you're like, as long as you're sure that that's going to be okay. I mean, I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't be able to recommend a 16 gig to someone I really cared about. But if they could convince me that they're not going to fill 16 gigs, uh, sure. And the iPad, which one is 270? Is that the uh, the? Do they still the, the still mini. sell the? Yeah, which mini though? What what are the insides? A seven. Oh, I see your point. Uh, I'm not sure to be honest with you. I see your point now. Yeah, I, I don't know if I could recommend that iPad. I definitely can't recommend the mini. The Air. If you want to get the cheapest Mac, it's not a bad Mac, right? That's the 13 inch Air. Uh, wait a minute. It's is it is it the 13 or the 11? And also, is it four gigs of RAM in that one? And like no oh, storage, man. right? Yeah. Yeah. So that that's always Apple's difficulty, but there, it does seem that Apple is trying to uh lower maybe it's just the on-ramp they're trying to lower get you into the store get you to consider the products and then sell you the better one for slightly better prices but i think the iphone se is of course is the the most recent one of these products that we all listed here and the iphone se definitely has far fewer compromises than all the other ones we listed so if only every other product line they have could have a lowest end model that is as admirable and sort of solid as the iPhone line does. And I hope I hope they do do that eventually with all their other models. And maybe they will once they ditch the MacBook Air and they only have the all Retina, MacBook One, MacBook Pro line. Those will all be pretty solid models once you get the second generation MacBook One in there. And the Mac Mini, hmm, I don't know. 